This morning, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas, and we are wrapping up a series called The Family Survival Guide. The Family Survival Guide. And we've been talking about uh, surviving our families, <laughs> surviving those relationships that are closest to us, but not just surviving them, but really seeing God work in the midst of them. And so you can grab a hold of those uh, messages if you missed any from the past three or four Sundays. Uh, you can get them on iTunes and download those for free. But I want to close out the series today with a message entitled, Hitting the Reset Button. Hitting the Reset Button. Before we go into that, I want to read a scripture with you from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask us to all read out loud together, but let me get started reading it, and then we'll jump in there together. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid, and, and I would be too, <laughs> right? If you're out there in the middle of the night, and then an angel stands before you, that would freak you out. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, let's say this all out loud and loudly together. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, and goodwill toward men. Hitting the reset button. What if you had a reset button that you could hit, like a, like a, a do-over button? I've, would you hit it? I know that I've talked to some people and they say, well, I wouldn't change anything in my life because it made me who I am today. And all those decisions, the good and bad, that's how I got to where I'm at. And I'm, I'm happy about you know, my life and so forth. And when I hear th people say stuff like that, I think, really? Are you kidding me that you wouldn't change anything? When I think back at my life, I would hit that button over and over and over again. The multiple bicycle crashes right? The, the broken collarbone, the, the scar across the chin, the big one on the belly, the ones on the knees and the elbows. Man, I'd hit the reset button in a heartbeat and say, oh, I'm not going off that jump today, right? I don't need to learn a lesson from smacking my head on the cement. I can watch YouTube, right? You can see people do that stuff all day long. I would hit the reset button. I'd go back to junior high when I told Kelly Degg she has a mustache, and I would take those words back. Because 20 years later at our 20-year reunion, she still remembered those words, and she reminded me of it. And I'd take back all those mean and hurtful things I said and did as a kid. Don't tell me you wouldn't do it over, right? I would take back uh, a lot of the things that I, I drank and that I, that I smoked. I'd take all that back. The reset, we're just not going to go out tonight. We're just not going to go over to that friend's house. Knowing what I know now, I would take that back. Somebody say Amen. Amen. Uh, that one time I got my butt kicked. That one time I got my butt kicked, I would take that back. It was three against one, but that was the toughest girl that my two friends and I ever faced. I would take that back. I would take back the year or so of wearing a mullet. I would take that back. I would go back in time and I would clip that thing off. I'd cut it off right now. 
In fact, I think I should go back to some of my pictures and Photoshop that mullet out of there. If I could find that, those pictures, I probably burned most of them, hidden them, but, but I would take back the mullet. Come on, some of you guys got some hairstyles and some, some clothings and some pictures that you look back and say, no, I wouldn't do that day. I wouldn't do that day. I want a reset button on that. I would take back uh, my daughter's car accident that she got into when she was T-boned less than a week after receiving her license, before her license got there in the mail. You know what I would do? I would go back to that day, and I would take her to school. You think about life like this, like there's so many things that, yeah, we learn from them, and they made us who we are, and they developed character, and there's been a lot of great things and lessons learned and blessings and so forth, but there's just been a lot of things that if we could go back and do it over again or do it different or just kind of erase that period, we've got to be honest and say we would do that. And we should want, you know, think that I would do that because, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm content with who I am, but I'm not satisfied. And so the, the decisions that I've made that were negative, they've set me back. Yeah, I am who I am by God's grace, but he has so much more for me. And there's decisions we make today that if we make the right decisions, it will advance us quicker in the kingdom of God, right? And in the plan of God for our life. But there's something about that desire to hit that reset button. If you could reset the, hit the reset button in regards to some family tension or fights, would you? Going back to some things that were said, some things that were done, some actions that were taken, if you could just hit a reset button and make it all right, would you? What if you could hit that reset button and erase the wrongs and, and, and of the past and the things that, that uh, divide you between those loved ones or the family members? Would you hit that button? I think the answer is we would, and, and when we think about Christmas, that first Christmas was God's divine reset button. You see, God created everything and intended it to be good, and things started off good for a while. I don't think it was very long, but it, it went pretty good for a while, but then things went south pretty quickly. And where God had a, a family that he intended to love and walk among, now next thing you know, there's division there, there's tension, there's fighting. Let me tell you a little bit of a story here about uh, a reset button and how God could communicate this to a people. In 1962, there was a 27-year-old man by the name of Don Richardson. He and his wife, Carol, took their seven-month-old baby and they headed down to the island nation of Papua to reach out to a Stone Age tribe called the, the Sawi people. These people, they wore grass skirts, if anything at all, and they used primitive stone tools and weapons. They were completely untouched from the world around them, isolated, never experiencing what we would consider the modern or, or even the Western world. They still practiced at that time headhunting and cannibalism. Don grabs his young wife and their seven-month-old baby and says, let's go minister to the headhunters. And they do, 27 years old. Sometimes we think about missionaries and people who do great things for the kingdom of God as those old people who are real mature and established and down the road. Now, this guy and his wife, they were in Bible college and someone came and preached about unreached people groups, and said, maybe God would put it on your heart to do something like that. And something stirred on the inside of his heart, this guy from Canada, right up north of us. 
and they, they launched out and took their, their new little family to a place where they'd never seen anyone outside of their tribe. He set out to learn their language and put it into a written form so that he could translate the Bible while his wife would uh, provide medical care. And after months of eight to 10 hour days of learning the language, he was finally able to tell them the gospel. And though he tried to share the gospel with them, with the people, he was making no progress at all. In fact, when he, he told the story of how Judas betrayed Jesus, causing him to be captured and crucified, the Sawi tribe, they cheered and they, they saw Judas as the hero. And they were laughing at Jesus because Jesus was duped into that. And he was tricked by someone who pretended to be his friend. And so Don is sitting there and he's saying, I don't understand what's going on. And this is because in the Sawi tribe, in their culture, they, they highly valued treachery. This wasn't just like, hey, some guys around the corner do it. I mean, this is like one of their core values, you know, like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're like deception, treachery, and killing someone when they don't expect it. Like that's, that's what they valued as a people. The more cunning and deceptive, the more honor. In fact, just before the Richardsons uh, arrived, one of the neighboring tribes spent about four months befriending one of the Sawi warriors. They named him as a mediator or a go-between between the tribes to bring about peace before they had him over for dinner, literally. <laughs> oh, eventually, after months of fighting and violence between the tribes, Don told the people that he's going to have to leave. He's making no headway. There's too much violence. It's too much fighting. It's not, he's not accomplishing his purpose there. But the Sawi, they loved having Don and his family there. They loved having his, his axes and, and some of his modern tools to help him with uh, just their daily life. And it was far superior to their, their stone tools and so forth. And so they wanted to do whatever it took to keep him there. And so finally, they, uh, they, since they didn't want him to go, they settled on a way to establish peace with their enemies. The head of both tribes would take his newborn son and give him to the enemy tribe to be raised. And as they would take their son, they would walk through the whole tribe, and every tribal member would put their hand on that child, put their hand on that child, and say, we're in agreement. This here is the peace child. And as long as that child lived, if there was ever any conflict... All the two parties had to do is plead the peace child, and the conflict would cease. And so when Don saw this, he knew that he had a way to relate the gospel to the people. This was what's called a redemptive analogy. There's something that was practiced in their culture that he was able to tie in to the message of the gospel from the Bible. And really, if you think about it, that's just what God did with his son. You know, the scripture in John 3, 16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his, his one and only son, his, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is God's peace child. Jesus is God's peace child. And so when you think about this, you think about this first Christmas, and you look at God offering up his son, he's hitting that divine reset button. But why did he send his son? Why did he send his son? I'm going to give you two reasons. Two reasons. In Romans chapter 10, verse 5, verse 10, it says, For while we were enemies, if, 
While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies with God. Just like the Sawi people were fighting against each other all the time, the Bible says that, that before we come to know God and to surrender our life to him and, and receive his peace child, we are enemies with God. We're, there's a constant fight against God. Now, the interesting thing is it's, it's really not God fighting against us because God, if he just, you know, he flicks we're done. There's not really a fight against us, but there is a rebellion and a fight against God. And the Bible points out over and over, man, people are like, they're, they're at enmity with God. In fact, Colossians chapter one says this, at one time you were far away from God and were his enemies because of the evil things that you did and thought. By now, by now, uh, but now, by means of the physical death of his son, God has made you his friends in order to bring you holy, pure, and faultless into his presence. So we all became enemies of God through our rebellion and sin, right? We all became that. All mankind, we, we chose to reject him. Now, this opposition, some people might think, well, I'm not doing anything bad. Like, like obviously, it shows up in, in some of the actions people take. But, you know, it's not just the things that we do to clearly violate his will and his word by the actions we take. It's just as much as what's in the heart and in the thoughts and in the attitudes. And what that reveals is just a, a, deeper, a deeper problem that at our very core, we've got this sin nature that goes all the way back to that first family, all the way back to Adam and Eve. And that something on the inside says, God, I don't need you. I want to do it my own way. I want to live life my own way. And that puts us as enemies with God. Now, even though we would defy God time after time, he never stopped loving us. And here, this is why I say we're really the enemies towards God because God is not our enemy. And he's not against us. He's never stopped loving us. And, and throughout, when you read the Bible, the Old Testament, you see God over and over making ways to create a temporary peace. And that's what you see in the law. That's what you see in all those sacrifices is God establishing a way so that there could be peace between he and us. The problem is those were always temporary. Romans chapter 8, though, tells us something. It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, we would try to follow the law or we would do the sacrifice, but we'd go right back to being an enemy with God. We'd have a temporary peace, and the next thing you know, we're just doing it our own way, on our own. We don't need you, God, and rebelling. And you see the history of God's people doing that time and time again. It goes on to say, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. What is it saying here? It's saying that, that the law couldn't do it for us. And all the rules and regulations and the sacrifices, they were never enough to create the lasting peace. And so when God offered his peace child on that very first Christmas, he was doing for us what the law couldn't. And he was sending his son to take place and make everlasting peace. 
at one point in the Bible, the, the scripture calls Jesus, it says, he is our peace. He's not just the peace that we have for rest from tension and anxiety, but he's the peace that we have that comes with us and God. Jesus is that peace. Ultimately, when God sent his son, Jesus, in the form of man, it was God's gift of peace between us and him. But he was rejected. He was put to death. But that didn't offer in God's offer of peace. Unlike the peace child for the Sawi tribe, who, was, who established peace only while he lived, Jesus, when he, was die, when he was crucified, that death satisfied the debt of man's sin, Jesus taking the penalty on himself. And that's where we have this gift of Jesus, the gift of God's son, is that he fulfilled all those righteous requirements, and then he made the ultimate sacrifice. And it was that one sacrifice to be made once and for all, finally for all of us. And all the debt and everything that caused there to be a divide and a tension and a division between us and God, it was satisfied on the cross. So if you think about this, you think about uh, if you owe money, you have a debt, and that debt is, creates a little bit of a tension or an awkwardness or separation between you and someone. Instead of you paying that debt so that you guys can all be in the clear, Jesus comes along and he pays the debt for you. He's the one who pays the penalty. He paid the fine so that you could be good with God. He's God's gift to us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So the very first reason for that first Christmas, why did God even give his son in the first place? Because we were enemies with God. And sometimes people think, well, yeah, I, I get that. Like, he loved the world, and so he gave his son for the whole world so that, you know, we can all come into a relationship with God. But the question that we really have to think is, is have, have, have I received that gift personally? And do I recognize it wasn't just because the whole world was full of sin, but me, I was an enemy with God. I am at a place, and I don't care, this is, this is the deal. Some people, they grow up bad, they know they're bad, they're really bad, they do bad, you know, they think bad, they want to do bad, they struggle with bad, they feel that. But there's other people who are raised well, and they've got manners, and they did well in school, and, and, and they never got arrested, and, you know, they don't have, like, the, 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 the tattoos from all the people they killed and all this, and they think, well, I'm pretty good. Right? I've gone to church, and I've got a nice family, and I'm doing well. And yet, that person is just as much an enemy of God, at enmity with God, just as much opposing God as that person who clearly, clearly rebels against God. See, Jesus wasn't just sent for those people. He was sent for all people. He was sent for me. He was sent for you. And so in our hearts, we can acknowledge the, the Bible story and the truth of it, but have we come to the point where we realize, no, that was me, and, and if I don't respond to God's gift and receive it, then what are the, the consequences of that? What's the result of that in my life? Yeah, you, you might go on living a pretty decent, good life. Thank God for His grace here in the United States and the blessings that we get to experience. It's not like that everywhere. 
and sometimes we can, we can uh, take that for granted. But I'm telling you, what does eternity look like? And so you, we've got to understand when, when that very first Christmas was established there, this is God stepping out of eternity into our life and saying, I don't want there to be a division between us anymore. I don't want there to be a tension between us. I don't want you to be fighting against me. And what Jesus does, he stood in the place between us fighting against God and God's fighting back, which is called his wrath. And so he took on the wrath where all that penalty, all that payback, all that punishment of God, he took it on himself. He stood in the gap there. He interceded for us. He's the one who, who brought the peace between us and God. And when we talk about establishing, restoring families and healthy patterns and so forth, the very first thing to understand, if we're really going to get to the root of it, is if you want your family life to be put in order, if you want your relationships with your friends to be healthy, the very first step you want to take is to make sure things are right between you and God. If you can get things right between you and God, then all of a sudden you have all the blessing, all the provision, all the resource of God available to get things right between you and others. But if you're trying to get things right in your friendships and your relationships, and you're not right before the Lord, then you're fighting in two different directions. And that's not a good place to be. Let God bring you his peace. Let him reconcile you to himself. Tell others about that what God's message was. The second thing is this. Very first, we said that we were enemies of God, but you know, we're enemies of each other. There's too much fighting. There's too much division. There's too much dis the, uh, dissension between us. There, there's too much of this, this um, the attack between people. And God looks at that and he says, I've got a solution for that in my son. So when God sent his son, it was a reset between him and us directly, but he also gave the ability for there to be a reset button between you and your brother, between you and family members, between you and your friends. The scripture says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, and in here it's referring to the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. In the time, there was so much tension between them. And he said this, the Messiah, or Christ, has made things up between us. So that we're, now we're together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at, we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine prints and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. You see, God was not only reconciling people to himself, but he was reconciling people towards one another. And so this is a question to ask, is, is, is there a relationship that you have that's not reconciled, that's not good, that's not healthy? Is there still someone, when you walk in the room, you might be able to put up with them, maybe, but that's as far as it goes. You ever go into a room where, where, man, you don't know what just happened or what was said, but you can feel the tension in there? It's like I, you, the saying, you could cut the tension with a knife. You go, you go into a situation like that, like, I don't know what it is. Well, there's this animosity. 
And the scripture is sitting here saying that God, he didn't just send his son so that there can be peace between he and us, but he sent his son so that there can be peace with those around us as well. He said he makes the two one. There's something about when Jesus comes into a family, when Jesus comes into a relationship, when Jesus comes into friendship, when he's invited in and he's in that marriage, he's in, in that household, that not only is it just for one person, but it's for the whole household. It's for the whole home. It's for the whole family. He said, I want to make the two of you one as well. I don't want there to be that animosity between you. All the walls that have been built up, I tore them down. In Ephesians, it goes on to say in chapter four, it says, make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another and sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. How can I forgive somebody as quickly and thoroughly as as God in Christ has forgiven me? You receive it, truly receive it from the Lord. You can only give what you've received. And if you haven't truly received that forgiveness from the Lord, you're going to have a hard time passing it on to others. But if you have truly received it from him, I'll tell you what, you have the ability to pass it on. The gift of God's son and the price that he paid was enough not only for your sins against God, but the sins of others against you. When he went to the cross, it wasn't just to pay for the sins that you committed against him, but he also paid for sins that were committed by others against you. He paid for it all. And so that's why not only does he make things right between us and him, but he can make things right between us and others. And this is how we can put families back together. When we all surrender to God and receive his son, the peace child, this is God's gift to you. This is how God helps us to survive the family, but not really just survive, but to thrive and have a healthy family. And I want you to think for a moment about yourself personally. Think about how the gift of God uh, how, how it impacts you in your relationship with him. Think about how the gift of God's son impacts your relationship with others. Are there people that you want to see this relationship made better, stronger, healthier, made right? Maybe there's a kid that's not doing so well. Maybe there's a dad who lives on the other side of the country. Maybe there's somebody who you were close to at some point, but man, some things were said, some things were done, and you, you just know that unless God works this out, it's not going to get worked out. But today, he's telling you, this is how I do it. The Philippian jailer heard the message of the gospel. He said, how do we, how do we get saved? And Paul said, said, repent, be baptized, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, and your whole family. When Jesus is invited into a family, when a whole family comes together, all those pains, all those, those hurts, all those things of the past, we can hit a divine reset button on them. And how many of you would say, okay, I, I could use God's divine reset button in a couple areas of my life? Let me pray with you, because I want to pray for, for you and your family to have peace with God. And I want to pray for the peace of God to reign in your family. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your gifts. 
We thank you for your son. Would you say this? God, I receive your gift today. I receive the peace child. I receive Jesus. And so I receive your peace. And I invite you into my home. I invite you into my relationships. Be the center of our lives. I invite your peace to rule and reign in my family. I invite you to restore relationships. I receive your forgiveness. And I extend your forgiveness to others. In the same manner. In Jesus' mighty name. Now let me pray. Lord God, I pray for every person here. Lord, that they would experience not just the mental understanding of peace with God, but in the spirit and in the heart that there would be no division. The blood of Jesus wipes away all all the things that were against us. Lord, I speak peace to their lives and to their families. Lord God, I pray that the people of the rock, those who are here today even visiting, I thank you, God, that you separate them, that you make a difference that you turn things around for them and, and give them a favor in their relationships like they've never experienced before. God, I pray that even over the next few days there would be phone calls and letters and, and, and messages that just uh, crack open the door for, for restoration so that relationships would be reconciled. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't miss that opportunity. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you. Amen. Pastor, thank you for bringing that message. You know, family relationships are some of the toughest to restore, huh? They can be some of the deepest pain and the hardest ones to put back together. This last week, our daughter was home from college, and uh, we've had a little bit of a rough ride. We had some rough years. Anybody have some rough years with kids before? We had some rough years, and... um, We were just, she came home uh, from seeing some friends and she sat on the couch and started to talk to me and I reacted. Anybody react as a parent (laughs) from something that probably wasn't right there, but is a little bit deeper and a little bit more history behind it. And I reacted strong. She left. She went to her room. I went to my room. (laughs) Anybody? Come on. I'm not the only one. (laughs) I went to my room and I, I thought, what was that? I went to sleep. I was tired. You know, never address anything when you're tired. Next morning, I got up with the Lord, and I said, Lord, why? Why did I respond so harshly? I love her. And the Lord began to walk me through, and I sobbed for like two hours. What it came down to was, I am so sorry you had to walk through pain like that on my watch. And the guilt sometimes and the regret a parent might have or a sibling might have or a grandparent might have or you may have sometimes can override our response to restore a relationship. And when you said we invite Jesus into every situation, that's what he did. He said, Jesus, you're going to have to come into this situation because I'm raw on the inside. That's my girl. 
I held her as a little baby. She made me a mama. And she walked through some intense things in my house on my watch. And I wasn't aware. And it broke me. And I knew that unless I go and speak to her and we have a good conversation, she's going to continue, possibly even on a destructive path. But definitely a wedge would be between the two of us. And I didn't want that. She's 19. We're talking an adult relationship at this point. And so uh, I write better than I talk sometimes, especially about the deep things. So I just wrote it all out. And we had a good conversation in the car. And what it came down to was this, I'm so sorry. Sometimes that's the where, where restoration begins, where that tension subsides. Is Sometimes when we as parents, we have to face it, or we as a sibling, or we as a sister or brother, Whatever the relationship tension is, it begins a lot of times with just feeling the rawness of and saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I did not want that for you. I'm sorry I put ministry ahead of you. I'm sorry I was too busy to listen. And as we began to walk through that process, by the end of it, the Lord had sealed our hearts back together in a way that hasn't been for a long time. So let me encourage you, don't just come to a good Christmas service. We went deep today. But walk away with something that gives new life to your family. Walk away with something that gives new life to those relationships. They don't have to stay that way. They don't have to stay in those tension modes. They can have the peace child as a gift. And that peace and that joy can come right back into those relationships. And your family dynamic can change because of the power of the Son of God. So may you and our heart for you and for us as we walk through real life, that's real life stuff, right? That, that We all deal with these things, but may Jesus be invited. May he be invited in to allow us to walk in the power that we're meant to walk in, the freedom we're meant to walk in. You're supposed to walk in a lot of joy and peace and good relationships so may that be your new day today may today start something new for you thank you for coming this christmas morning and may the lord release something new in your family and new in your life this year